Hey Northridge, welcome to A Little Better, where our goal is to know God better and to do better so that we can be a little better. Well, hey everyone, and welcome back to A Little Better. I am so happy to be having, uh, I was going to say pastors Melvin and Ashley, but now I feel like I need to say Dr. Ashley Cross and then Melvin, I guess, too. <laughs> Excited to have them both back with us. So thank us, thank you so much for joining us this week. Thank you for having us again. We had uh, such a good time last week um, in the previous conversation. We're looking forward to this one as well. Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to it. And actually, Drew is as well. But unfortunately, Drew is not going to be on this recording because um, Drew is not feeling well today and was concerned that his ability to have coherent thoughts would be (laughs) impacted by his sickness. So uh, he's not going to be on, which kind of brought up for me memories of times when, you know, Sunday's coming, as you guys, of course, Melvin, actually, you know so well, Sunday's coming, ministry is is never ending. And so when you're sick, you don't always have the ability to pause whatever you had planned. So do you have, do you ever have a story where like, Oh shoot, I am not well, but I have stuff I have to do. That ever happened to you? Yeah, actually, um, even as of recently, we, um, during the whole pandemic, um, towards the beginning of it, I was really sick and I had to go record and I'm sitting in the, the sanctuary, which has become a glorified recording studio. And I'm laying on one of the the rows, like, oh my gosh, how am I gonna do this? You know, I'm you know, full of medication, I'm almost high from the medication, and I still have to go <laughs> and push. So the singers are singing, I'm like, keep singing, keep singing until I can get my head together, keep going. Yeah, it, it was bad. But I'm pretty sure I have used a few stories like that over the years where I, you still have to push on even though you're not feeling your best. Did somebody step uh, in Yeah, because I couldn't get myself together. <laughs> so one of our ministers, uh, he, in, in the spur of the moment, he looked at me, he said, don't even, I got it, I got it. I, wow. I, I, I couldn't make it. I couldn't get myself together. Well, then you already know that that was a word because there's, you know, <laughs> that right. much, that little preparation is going to come straight from the Lord. <laughs> right, exactly. And he did really good. I was like, whoa, you would have thought he prepared for this. <laughs> That's awesome. We had a Sunday where um, actually Drew and I were in Israel. It was just back in February, right before everything went down with COVID. And so at our campus, there are uh, four staff, uh, me, kind of a music production tech worship guy. Um, our campus director, her name is Lara. She oversees kind of everything in the lobby. And then we have a kids ministry director. So anyway, the four of us sort of make things, help run things on Sunday mornings. But I was gone and Matt, who is the worship and tech and everything else. Um, I woke up to a text because of the time change where basically like, he was getting like dragged out of his house to the ER because he was super sick on Saturday night into Sunday and like could barely walk. And like, they took him to the ER and, and I got this text that was basically like from another staff member. It was like, I don't know what you guys are going to do tomorrow morning, but Matt won't be there <laughs> and we're portable. Right. So he drives the trailer and he gets there at 6am to set up all of our stuff. And he's legitimately the only human who knows how to make all the buttons push to make it happen. So it was crazy. He, he has some awesome volunteers that he's trained that stepped in and we literally just streamed. Normally we have live music 
And then we streamed Drew's teaching. In that case, we literally streamed everything for the roster campus, the singing, every component. Because uh, we had we got we got nothing at that point. But yeah, sickness happens, but yeah, it, it happens. happens. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so o- over this past week, you know, it's it was a blessing to have been able to hear from the people of our church that you guys, you know, me included, helped so tremendously. And actually this wasn't something we you know, could talk about on the podcast last week, but after we actually stopped recording, the th- you, me, Ashley, and Melvin ended up talking for like another hour because I was like, "Please don't leave. <laughs> I want to talk." <laughs> We're very blessed and and um, encouraged by you know your leadership and insights. But on um, this week, I'm hoping you know I, I don't even know. I, I don't want to presume on your time what the next couple of weeks could look like, or or you know, we'd love to continue to hear from you. But for now. Um, I'd love to get your thoughts on what has happened on in a positive way. What has happened toward reform and improvement? Then maybe give us a sense of what the future could hold. You know, if if justice if justice prevails, if it flows down like a mighty flowing stream. You know, like if if what we hope for happens, what could the world look like? And what steps might we need to take to be a part of that? So I, I know those are three enormous questions, but let's just start with, has there been in seven days any degree of change? Yeah, so with all of the social unrest, with all of the protests and with everybody um, having a focus on what's happening in America, the pressure has actually been pushing us forward. Um, even in the midst of pain, even in the midst of um, disagreements across lines, across races, there has still been some amazing progress that has happened over the past week. And so just within the past 10 days, um, uh, we know that Minneapolis banned the whole chokehold, the chokehold that the police officers do, um, do wow. which is huge. Um, it may seem small, but that's a huge win because they haven't had any reform, I think, within the past two decades or so. Wow. Just even something so small as that that can prevent another human being from losing their life um, from that from that tactic is huge. What else, babe, would you say? Um, we've seen charges brought against all of the police officers that were involved in George Floyd's death. Um, and we even yeah. seen, um, what's his name, uh, Officer Derek, mm-hmm. um, his, 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 um, what is it? His charges, charges. third yeah. degree to second degree, you know, which is huge. Hmm. Um, we've seen Dallas, they've adopted a a duty to intervene rule that requires for officers to stop other cops, um, who are engaging in inappropriate use of force, which for me is huge because, um, we're, and we're not anti-police. We don't want, we don't want our nation to be anti-police. I was just thinking about that this morning. You know, what happens if we build a narrative where our children despise police officers, you know, and, and they, they feel unsafe with police officers and they think that all police officers are bad, then none of our children are going to aspire to be police officers, you know, and we need police officers of, and we need a diverse police force. It can't be all, you know, white men and it can't be all white women. You know, it, it has to be a blend. Um, Definitely. We're talking about, you know, police officers patrolling our communities that are black and brown. Um, you know, so the, the duty to intervene for me is is a huge win because it, it empowers police officers to say, hey, bro, that that's not cool. Like, you can't do that to her. You can't right. do that. You know? mm-hmm. um, 
What else have we seen? Well, one very practical thing that we've seen is we've seen people um, reach out for understanding. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, since we're in a pandemic, we don't have any sports. We don't have any of those other extracurricular activities. So everybody's attention is focused in one central place. And so we had our, you know, our white brothers reaching out to, for understanding, you know, not just to have dialogue for dialogue's sake, but say, how can we help make a difference? So that is a sense in a beginning of unity um, because the scripture says, and all you're getting, get what? An understanding. So if we can understand one another's perspectives, one another's history, that in itself will help us to begin to bring the necessary change that's necessary. Yeah. Um, we've also started to see a lot of the Confederate statues removed. That is amazing. Um, which, wow. you know, I always a touchy subject um, because it is a part of American history, but it is it is a painful reminder to, to Blacks about what was, um, you know, taken from us during that time and, and the role that we played or didn't play during during that time of history. Um, you know, and so and to venerate. Me, no, please, please go ahead. Sorry. No, I was just saying from a spiritual standpoint, you know, the Lord is really beginning to deal with altars and deal with, you know, the idolatry of this country, Mm -hmm. um, which obviously is, is 100% a hard issue. So, you know, when you start seeing things like that, um, that's, that's as spiritual as it is natural. It's not just about a statue coming down. It's about idolatry Mm -hmm. being confronted in this nation. Yeah. Yeah. And in America, go ahead. I was going to say, just speak to it. Like what, that that spiritual aspect i know that's been so true for me in my journey like not seeing this as simply a sociological issue like not having this like really tight box thinking where like now i'm thinking politics now i'm thinking sociology now i'm thinking you know spiritual growth like as i bring those boxes together it's been it has helped me see that i have a god given responsibility to think properly and so i love that you're talking about idols cuz that's that's what it's been for me. That's what this journey has been is one that is not in any way separate from my quiet time or something. You know what I mean? Like it's, right. it's what it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But, and I think that we all have to confront our hearts, you know, mm-hmm. all throughout scripture, you know, it's, it's a fight against idolatry, you know, mm-hmm. so it's not just white people having to confront that it's blacks having to confront it as well. Um, I don't want to, I don't want us and our family to ever get so so deep in this fight against racism that it becomes an idol, you know, that we can't hear from God, that our hearts don't become tender. Anything can become an idol, you know? And so it's, it's, we're all trying to rid our hearts from the current idols and protect them and protect our hearts from, from idols forming, you know, within our mm-hmm. hearts. So, um, so yeah, those are, those yeah. are big wins. Yeah, um, those are major. I know that there's been a lot of conversation around defunding the police and that's something I'm, I'm, I'm researching because I don't know what that means. It doesn't sound like it's a good idea, yeah. Um, yeah. but I don't know I've what that means. I've been fascinated because you know? I thought the same thing. I'm like, as opposed to what? Like, I, I don't, I don't know what yeah. the alternative yeah. Even is. Yeah. So I know I read this morning that um, Minneapolis did they defunded their, their police um, force. So they, I don't know exactly once again, what that means. Um, I know that it, that it is putting more of the resources towards community safety. um, But there's no real language around that, that, you know, paints a picture of what that actually looks like. Um, So I'm going to be interested. It's going to be interesting to see what that unfolds because the last thing that we want is for us to have a lawless nation because all the police officers are, you know, the, everybody's being defunded and, and quitting and, and being fired, you know, but we do want some radical change where we are weeding out um, the officers that should not be 
policing our neighborhoods. And I think the majority of this week, there have been peaceful protests, which yeah. we are thankful for. Yeah. Um, just the, you know, the lack of violence, the lack of aggression. It's a beautiful thing that goes to show, once again, a progression that's happening. We go from the violence to the peace to, the, to, to now there's a demonstration and there's some outcomes we're actually seeing happen because of those peaceful mm-hmm. protests. Yeah, and, and as we've said before, this, you know, these are moments that are going to be in history books, right? I loved, Ashley, you know, we talked about that last week where you said <clears throat> almost like, how will, we, how will we reflect on this or what will our children think of our actions in this moment? And so I'm fascinated to see how history will look back on the narrative of COVID plus, you know, George Floyd. Like, of course, God's in control of everything, but the amount of attention that this could receive and has received because there isn't like, I'm going to flip on the game, you know, or there's just, there was already so much, you know, boiling in our nation. Yeah. Even divides over is COVID real or, you know, like there was already tension. And so it's almost like, you know, the, the history of world war one, like the assassination of the Archduke Ferdinand is how it always describes like, you know, Europe blew up in world and then World War One began. Like, are we gonna look back as like COVID was the lead up to something that seemingly had this totally unrelated result of like, and then the second civil rights movement began? <laughs> you know, like yeah. I don't know. I, I seen a funny meme this morning and uh it had a kid like pulling his hair out and it was it said like um our children trying to understand. American history 2020, like, you know, years to come when they're reading this year in their, in their history books, they're like, what in the world was going on? You know? Absolutely. And and I keep thinking about like, remember when Tiger King and COVID is what people were talking about. <laughs> yeah. Like that, right? yeah. We've had an interesting year. So, and we're only halfway through. Oh my word. Yeah. In some ways don't remind me, but in other ways, as we've described, there's, there's hope and there's optimism. So if, if these changes that we've seen, as you've outlined so helpfully, um, those really exciting steps, obviously with a lot of, there's a lot of fear in there too of like, oh man, what's law enforcement going to look like or something? Actually paint that picture for us a little bit. What would a better world look like, a better America look like in some of these critical areas? I think of mass incarceration and you know police reform and um, everything from you know education funding to the foster care system. Um, not that this is like your political platform right now, like you're running for office. I just mean, I sometimes don't even know what the better version of the world we're shooting for is. So I'd love from people who, you know, you could argue have a lot more to have a different, we all have, we're all in this fight together, but at the same time, the average white American doesn't know what there is to be gained. So I'd love your take on it. Yeah, I think it begins with us asking what role do we play? Um, you know, I, there, there is reformation that needs to happen in so many systems that, that, um, create a oppressive, you know, system for, for people of color. Um, and so, you know, just, I know that, you know, for me personally, this morning, I was just reflecting on, um, you know, how I want God to use me in terms of, Um, you know, reformation within the foster care system and how that still fights an oppressive system because it it all leads back to poverty. It all leads back to inequity and access. You know, um, what does that look like for me? Because I know that that is the area that God has called me to. 
Um, you know, so there are so many systems. This is it. I mean, we're, we're obviously fighting against racism, um, but it's really asking the bigger question in terms of what systems need to be revamped, what, what systems need to be reformed and what is my individual role in doing that? Um, you know, the prison system is made up of, I think it's like 80% of former foster children. So for me, I'm like, you can't, you reform the prison system. You've consequently reformed a piece of child welfare, you know, mm. um, when we're talking about police brutality, what does reformation look like? You know, what is, what does that look like? Um, I think even from a, a, even more, a different perspective, but also a necessary system to address is the religious system. Mm. Um, because Sunday morning is still the most segregated hour in the nation. So how do we reform? My question was, how do I reform? this system in which I have a voice in, which is the religious system. Um, and so just really trying to figure out ways to, such as this, to really make our voices heard, not only make our voices heard, but for people to have a heart to actually hear um, what we're saying. And when we say here, there should be some corresponding re reactions or responses to what we are saying. Um, and so it's, you know, for me this week, I, I don't just pastor black people, I pastor brown people and I pastor white people. And so having to be able to have these hard conversations about what can I do to help change this system. So this weekend we had an in-person worship service outside, it was live. And we had white people that we didn't know coming to our worship service. And I'm thinking this has to be, this is amazing because one, they are actually a part of, if they join this community of believers, they're gonna be a part of a group where they are not in control where they have to submit to someone who is an, of another color or another race than them, and they can still grow spiritually. And so I think that's one way for us to begin to reform even the, the mountain of religion for black and white to actually worship together and not just symbolically, because when we say multicultural church, what does that actually really, really mean? You know what I right. mean? Um, Most and of the time it means predominantly white with a nod toward other people groups. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And so if we really want to integrate or to reform the religious mountain or the system of religion, we have to really have those hard conversations of what does integration actually look like for our Sunday morning? Yeah, because the fact that Sundays are the most segregated days of the week, yeah, that like that's to, to me, that speaks to where the church is. Um, you know, that if we were to say that segregation doesn't happen anymore in the U.S., then we could just look to Sunday mornings and say, well, that's a lie because you have all black people over here worshiping together. You have all white people over here, all Hispanic. And, and yes, there are differences within cultures and, and, we, understand and we understand preference and things of that sort. Um, but there have to be active and ongoing measures to come together to worship, um, you know, and, and to understand, yes, there's language barriers, there's things. But I remember going overseas and the whole and, and having people pray for me in Portuguese and I did not know what they were saying, but I knew that what the Holy spirit was speaking to me during that moment. Um, and so taking our limits off of the Holy spirit and how he moves, he has no preference, um, you know, and, and for us to be able to experience each other, understand each other, worship together um, without always having to be so divided. Um, so when we're talking about, reform, it, it's going to actually have to start in the church. Because we are the hope of the world, right? And if, right, if right. we don't have reform in our hearts and in our culture, the church culture, it won't trickle down to the rest of the world. And so I think this these conversations are what's so essential when our white brothers, our brown brothers, our Asian brothers, our black brothers can prefer 
our brother over ourselves. And let's say, hey, I might not like the, the, the type of music you guys worship to, but hey, I'm going to come. I'm going to fellowship with you all for a few Sundays and, and just start to really embrace one another, even as Christ said, you know, prefer your brother over yourselves or love your neighbor as yourselves. I think that will be the beginning of worldwide reformation once the church begins to reform. Yeah. And, and, I, and I will say this and I can I could see this being taken the wrong way. But if if the church is not the forerunner in reformation, um, like any other movement we see, we're going to see the enemy creep in and we're going to see perversion be the outcome. Mm-hmm. It, it's going to happen. And so as much as I, 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 I stand against racism, as much as I will, all, I will be an advocate. My faith is that's the, that's the cornerstone. Yeah. You know, not mm-hmm. being a black woman, I was born black. I chose to be a Christian. My convictions lie as a Christian want black woman, as, as a Christian, not as a black um, or an, an African American. Um, so, as a black, um, so, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. so with, within that, the church we have to um, kind of safeguard these movements, you know, mm-hmm. to, to make sure that it's not becoming something that is perverse, yeah. something that lacks in, in in morality, something that lacks in conviction. Um, and that's me saying that because that, that, that would happen with anything, um, yeah. that is yeah. not safeguard. Right. And historically this civil, this civil rights movement is completely different from the first civil rights movement mm-hmm. because black lives matter. We believe that, but this is a movement that is led outside of the church. Most civil rights movements have been led. They've been born out of faith, born out of people yeah. who had a spiritual conviction of Jesus Christ. And so this is why we, the church, need to come together to not only just come as- come alongside, but to, I believe, keep also lead. Yeah, keep it anchored in the truth of our faith. Um, and, and, and I've seen a lot of conversation around that um, because it's hard. Because when we say Black Lives Matter, when we say it, we're saying the statement is true. Right. But there is a Black Lives Matter organization. Right. That bears the same name. (laughs) That bears the same name. And their values do not line up with that of the Christian faith. Mm. And so it's it's being able to separate. No, no, no. When I say the statement, I mean the statement. I mean, Black Lives Matter. Um, Mm -hmm. But I'm not bagging the organization that directly goes against what it is that I believe as a Christian. And I think that that's where we're seeing a lot of the conflict on social media, because if you don't know that there's a difference and you say, and I've seen it happen, I've seen timelines just blow up where there's now there's this huge, you know, discourse about Black Lives Matter. And I'm like, I I think I know what this person means. They're talking about the organization that has a huge, completely another agenda as well. Right. Um, You know, so that's why we need the church. We need the church. Yeah. And I, I think to your point, it's not, not necessarily a shame on shame on us moment as the church, but there, there are people who will stand in the gap for justice because of common grace. God has placed in humanity an understanding of right and wrong. And thankfully we have a country at some, to some level that does, though it's been done so poorly throughout our nation's history in some ways, it does have a, an arc that bends toward justice. You know what I mean? Like it's go, it's, there are in people who don't love Jesus, a desire to see people treated with equity. And so if the church doesn't lead the forefront, some people will do what the church should do <laughs> and they will bring, they will bring with them 
other values that we don't that we don't see eye to eye on. And so it is in an absence of a church-led civil rights movement that a non-church-led civil rights movement has occurred. And so the church, as we unify, it's and I could be wrong on this, it's not even necessarily what buildings we meet in or what styles of worship or who pastors who, although I certainly need much more influence from all kinds of different perspectives. Um, it's about the church in Rochester, capital C church, doing things like what we're doing right now, saying, I will, I will allow proximity to allow me to, I will believe pastors Melvin and Ashley when they say this is real in our city. I don't need a video to know that this is real. And when my black brothers and sisters in Christ tell me that that's a thing, I'll say, that's a thing. And so as a, as a resident of this city, I will, I will vote, I will act, I will move toward your good. I will show equal concern for your sorrows and, and tears that I would hope you would show for mine. And so that's how the church, even if it never becomes one big conglomerate thing, that's extraordinarily hard to organize and put in the same, unless we rent the blue cross every week or something, you know, it's Mm -hmm. about saying we have a unity in Christ that does not need us in the same building for us to act in unison. Yeah. And we have a unity in Christ that doesn't require for something to directly impact us for us to care. Right. You know, Jesus didn't have to be a recipient of an oppressive you know, system to have a heart for them. You know, in fact, he left heaven to solve a problem that did not impact him. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Right. So that's our example right there. Mm-hmm. You know, that's our example. And I, and that's not just our example for racism. That's our example for every oppressive system. Right. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. There's, and, and I would love just, you know, a practical step or two for you guys to give a recommendation for our church, for us as individuals, you know, not, not just, not just white listeners of our church, but you know, what are some steps we all could be taking as we look toward this practical vision of the future? Yeah, I don't. I don't I'm sure you're getting blown up with that question right now. <laughs> yeah, and I, I don't. I don't always feel like my my responses are practical because it's like it's kind of. Yeah, I feel like people leave like, oh. Um, so I, I think for me, it's it begs the bigger question: What role do I play in this? You know, what system between, you know, prison, police, child welfare, poverty, church, education? What system do I feel a burden for? Where, what, 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 what system do I feel like, hey, this is, this is my lane. And when I'm, when I'm advocating in this space, I feel very comfortable. Um, and begin to research and, and ask yourself, okay, where do I see that this system is oppressing Black people? You know, and this is just within the context of racism. We can ask this for, we can ask this question if we're looking at gender or, or anything else. But but right now, when we're talking about racism, you know, within the education or within, you know, poverty, or child, like let's educate ourselves on how these systems were built. All Because all of them historically were built to keep black people from reaching exactly. a certain level of success. Or they were built without black people in mind. Right. 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 You know, so that's where if you work for a Fortune 500 company and you start to look around and notice like all of my coworkers are white and everybody on the board is white. Maybe I should start advocating for diverse, you know, voices to 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 be a part of the table and to be a part of the decision making. Any 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 table that you sit at that does not have 
um, diversity, a diverse, you know, um, background, background, experiences, experiences. It, it is creating an oppressive system, you know? Yeah. And, and I love that because I think it, it would have been easy at a time in my life to say, well, that's because, well, that's because, well, that's because, and even if the first layer is like, you know, name, name a place that's all, you know, that's monoethnic, you know, well, that's because we only recruit from this school. And then it's like, okay, great. Then why is that school monoethnic? Well, that's because they mostly pull from this community. Okay, great. Why is that community monoethnic? Like you just, all it takes, you can come up with any excuses you want. You just eventually, if you trace that back, you will find like, oh, (laughs) there were rules about where people could live, or there were rules about how much money you had to make to do this or that. Like, it all it uh, there's a reason for everything like you can't look around our, our our country in particular and see just simply clumpings of people living together in vastly different economic situations and not eventually say something caused this it's not no random computer formula generates this much uniformity <laughs> you know yep. so anyway the, i just think that's been helpful to me to realize like my gut defensive reaction all that reflects is a lack of research, which is why I brought up to bring it back to like, it's just a lack of research. You just, you haven't dug enough to find the system that produced whatever reality you're living in. And I can passively promote it simply by not knowing its origins. And I think mm-hmm. that's what's so deadly about the form of racism we have in our world today is that my, me as a white male can, I can, without knowing the origins, I will just continue to perpetuate it. Like, well, I'm not making consciously racist, racial mm-hmm. decisions. And that's yeah. the danger. Yeah. I think that every person needs to watch the Netflix documentary 13th if they have it. Hmm. Like, it, it's so eye-opening. It, it was it was eye-opening to for us, me. It, yeah. And it, it's, it's funny because my um, around that time, my father uh, went to prison and he was a part of the whole three strikes, you're out thing. And I just grew up knowing, like, my, my dad went to jail for selling drugs. And then I watched 13th and I'm like, oh, whoa, my dad was caught up in, you know, this this political system, this system Mm -hmm. that was really designed to to keep black men out of the house. Like, oh, that makes sense. You know, and it began to put my story into context. Yeah. You know, Um, so watching movies that that dig back into the history of America and how these systems were right. were established. And even just embracing the honest reality of our history, right? Mm. We can't change our history. Oh, well, you know, but we can embrace the history and say, this is what actually happened and start to do some course correcting, like what's happening now. We are correcting and changing the narrative. This once was the narrative, but this is what we're doing to change, you know, the current experience of what we've known to be true. Yeah, and that, <laughs> what, as a pastor, something that I've struggled with, even in my own growth, is, and we talked about this on the hour after last week, is I struggle to recommend resources at times because I know, much like, let's say, if Black Lives Matter is on the front edge of pushing justice, but we know that there's a whole section, many sections of that agenda that we can't get behind, many of the resources that best convey the history and the sociology of our country from an honest perspective are going to have things that I can't just go like, oh yeah, definitely. Like, watch this with your kids, or read this out loud. You're to- you know, with your with your teenager, everything you read is going to be perfect. Like, it requires such discernment, upper level thinking, careful analysis, 
gut checks. You have to fight your own fragility and what you've been taught. There's so many layers of peeling back that are required to even just get to an honest picture of what happened that I struggle to sometimes say, like, even read a book like White Fragility, which totally blew up my world. But like, man, there's going to be stuff in there that you I can't agree with. But Mm -hmm. a huge percentage of it does. And if I can't get to a place where I say, man, there isn't a perfect Christian resources that outlines everything. I'm sorry. I wish there was. There's not. You're going to have to read stuff like an adult and get the good and spit out the bad. Like if you're not comfortable living in gray and that you'll never grow in this racial conversation. Yeah. Yeah. And this is why we have to be rooted in our faith and our conviction. Come on. When we're rooted in these places of conviction, we can read those type of resources and know what to embrace and know what to reject. You know, you just don't throw the baby out with the bathwater because you're missing such valuable wisdom, such valuable information that can help you actually bring reformation to the current climate. Yeah, there's a book called Counterculture. Um, Hmm. The writer is the guy that wrote, what is that book that everybody like wanted to become minimalist because they read it? I know you're talking about, I can't think of his name. Um, Yeah, he's like extreme about everything, but it's like, it's it's a good book. You know, it talks about racism. It talks about abortion. It talks about all of the huge things that were like, no, don't talk about that. This book talks (laughs) about that. but it's super extreme, but it's one of those things where you read it and you say, hey, this is where God is calling me. You know, he's not calling me to give away all of my assets and live on $12,000 a year. Like maybe he did this guy, right. you know, but this is this is this is what I can pull out of that. So, yeah, yeah, it does take a certain level of maturity. And I think that that's why God is really requiring a lot more from leaders at this point, because we're really the ones that are called to do the deep digging. And, and then we can pull that out and, and give the milk to the babes, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, like, sure. you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to tell you to read this book because I know where you're at in your faith, but <laughs> I've read it and let me give you what needs to be given to you. Which is good pastoring on any issue, right? Absolutely. I mean, that's just, that's just being a good shepherd. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, and we, and we, as leaders, we kind of set the climate and the tone for those we lead. And so for us as pastors to be having these conversations, this would provoke um, some questions in, in those who follow us. Like even I've, over the I've past I've had some week, this week. <laughs> right. Even over the past month, some of the people we pastor has been texting us or emailing us, asking us questions. How should I feel about this? What should I do about this? What direction are we heading in? And this is why we have to be, one, we have to be very sober in our thinking. We have to make sure our emotions are in check. We feel, we have pain, but we then also have to lay that at the altar and at the foot of Jesus so that we can lead with clarity um, and with an answer or somewhat of an answer or leading people to find out that answer. That is so beautiful. And and that's, if we promote, I hope today, I hope six months from now, I'm embarrassed about what I used to think. You know what I mean? Like, that's an important part of growth is, and if we promote simplistic thinking in our people, we'll get simplistic outcomes. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Of like band-aids for these deep seated and significant problems. And so if we're comfortable with cliches, if we, if we aren't willing to dig, if we can't find the question behind the question as leaders, then we certainly can't expect that our people are going to come out on the other side of this um, with actionable steps that are going to make a difference. And and man, that is so true of racism in particular because of how um, defensive I can become in it. But it's true of every issue. And I think we've simply shut down our brains on this one topic instead of doing what we would normally do on any spiritual topic. Yeah. yeah. 
And, and, and I think that's why, though, a lot of people don't see racism as a spiritual topic as much as they do a political topic. And that's or the issue. Topic, it is yeah. not political. Mm. It, this is not a right or left issue. <laughs> this is a sin issue. And of course, that, that kind of generalizes. But racism has been happening since before, during biblical times. Right. Right. So we have to see it as such, as a spiritual issue, as spiritual beings, as Christians. We need to address it in that manner. Yeah, so, I, I think when when you go when you go to talk about racism, and people automatically go to presidential candidates, it's like we've missed it. Like it has nothing to do with yeah. with. Left we'll, right. we'll only get band aids. We'll we'll just keep Absolutely. getting band aids if we jump straight to politics. We have to go directly to the heart of the father. How does the father feel about this? What is what is what is you know what is our faith? What is our faith conviction around this? And all of that, something that's come to me this week as well is like thinking about, oh, it becomes so political is, of course, our faith compels us to the marketplace. Of course, it compels us to civics and to voting and action and policy because Christians have been involved in that in every generation when when permitted. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. Christians have been thinking that way and producing reform because God has established the government. The church and the family; those are institutions in which he he set them up to make difference in culture. So, of course, we would engage in the political realm. We aren't making it political, though. We are working out our faith, the truth of God's word, the convictions He's placed in our hearts in the political realm. We're not getting political, right? Like, yeah. I mean, there's a difference. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, okay, here's the thing. This is a way longer podcast than normal, and I love it. So, I'm just going to say it needs to go out as is, but. Um, if you guys are willing, I'd love to, you know, consider being able to have you guys on because I still don't even feel like we've gotten to the level of, you know, tomorrow when I wake up, what could I do? I know, man, I will say for 99% of especially white American Christians, research and development is a huge part of what we need to do. But I would love to have you guys really speak to like, how could you challenge us to take a step beyond picking up a book? Um, though that's huge. What's the other step? So if you're willing, maybe we can have you on again and, and we'll continue the conversation. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that'll be a great focal point for the next podcast. Practical right. steps. Yeah, because my steps aren't practical. They're like, assess your heart. Well, she's Dr. About Frost. This. I'll be the I practical steps. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. I know. Every once in a while, um, Lauren, my wife, will you know ask me for my answer on this. And she usually will say something like, hey, what should I think about this? but you have to answer in 30 seconds or less. <laughs> yeah, I don't, uh-uh, I don't know. And I'm always just like, okay, then I'm not going to answer it. <laughs> or I'm like, oh yeah, I got you. And then it goes, goes for like 10 minutes. So yeah, yeah. If we can get down to, you know, some stuff. I'm, I mean, I'm anxious to know. Um, I'm on my own journey on this as well. So I'm anxious to know how I can be, you know, an ally um, in all of this. So my friends, so grateful for your leadership and influence in the seven days I've now known you. Um, <laughs> I'm really <laughs> thankful and hey, God bless you for, we can't wait for this, everything to open and lift. So we might can go to the park and sit and talk together. And, Come and on. This is one practical step that how you can really defeat the spirit of racism is build relationships with people that are not like you. Mm. Love it. Thank Genuinely. you. And believe what they say. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, like a friend would. Oh man. Okay. 
guys, thank you so much. And let me, I'll go ahead and hit stop recording so that our, our listeners can have a break from the wisdom this time around. And we'll, we'll catch you next time. Thanks everyone for listening. If you have questions, please send them in. Cause I know that Ashley Melvin Cross <laughs> would love to be answering questions and we want to get as practical as we can. So for our listeners, please send in questions. Thanks. And everybody have a great week.